You could turn, please, to uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. This is the word of the living God. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, uh, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Do you not, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wise of this world, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. Who reads uh, the word of God? Well, our text uh, this evening is Second Timothy 4, verse 8, where Paul, looking to the future, says, finally... As we saw last week, literally all that remains, all that remains is laid up for me, stored or deposited for me. What's stored, what's laid up, what's deposited? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his, his appearing. This, dear friends, is the joy of the heart of a faithful servant who comes to the end of his life knowing he was faithful and is to be rewarded. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown which is righteousness, as we saw last week, the crown which is life, the crown which is glory. Now, all that means is you will be rewarded for your faith and your service to Christ by eternal righteousness, eternal life, and eternal glory. It's amazing, isn't it? There will be no more sin, be no more death, 
No more defeat, no, no more uh, wrestling with the old nature. It'll be eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory. Revelation 2 verse 10 speaks of the crown which is life. Writing to the angel of the church of Smyrna, uh, Jesus says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, when these crowns are mentioned, it's not necessarily that we're walking about glory, you know, with these uh, specific crowns on our head you know walking uh, for eternity and saying oh look at this crown here Um, that's not what it's uh, indicating at all Um, we're talking about eternal righteousness eternal life and eternal glory Uh, the picture that we're given in uh, 2nd Timothy chapter 4 taken obviously from biblical times is just as an honoured person wore that Laurel wreath, as we were saying last week, that factor is a, an expression of someone's respect and someone's love or someone's desire to exalt them. So we will wear forever eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory as evidence of God's desire out of love and grace to exalt us forever and ever In his glorious presence. It's marvelous isn't it? What a wonderful truth. When you think about your eternal reward. It's called by many names in scripture. This eternal righteousness. Eternal life. Eternal glory. It's described as being with Christ. Beholding the face of Christ. Beholding the glory of Christ. Being glorified with Christ, reigning with Christ, reigning forever and ever, refers to it as being joint heirship with Christ, inheriting all things. It's described as an inheritance with the saints in light. It's described as shining as the stars, as everlasting light, as he as entering the joy of the Lord, it's described as eternal rest, as fullness of joy. It's described as the prize of the high calling of God. It's described as uh, treasure in heaven. And it's described as an eternal weight of glory. And beloved, it all refers to the same thing. Eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory. That's what the Apostle Paul looked forward to. He wanted what God had promised him. The absence of sin. The absence of death. The absence of humiliation. He wanted that righteousness, that life and that glory forever. What a hope was waiting him. What a hope was deposited, led up for him. Safely with God. Now friends when you think about eternal righteousness. Eternal life. Eternal glory. 
You can see that illustrated in the parable of the workers in Matthew chapter 20. Now, you don't need to turn to it. You can if you want, but you'll know what that uh, parable is. Uh, Jesus pictures a man who went out uh, to hire some people to work in his vineyard. He hired some people and they worked 12 hours. He hired some more people and they worked nine hours. He hired some more and they worked six hours. He hired some more and they worked three hours. He hired some more and they worked for only one hour. Now, you know the parable at the end of the day, what did he pay them? Exactly the same. And Jesus was saying, the last shall be first, the first shall be last, which means everybody ends up the same. The last are first, and if the first are last, as soon as they become last, then they become first again. Maybe that's an oversimplification, but you know what I mean. So everybody finishes the same. You know, the person who saved, you know, a deathbed conversion. You know, gets the same. And that's the point of the parable. The parable is illustrated in the way, you know, that these men were, were paid. No matter what your service was. No matter how long. No matter how short. No matter how hard you worked. In the end, all will receive the same eternal life, the same eternal righteousness, the same eternal glory, the same eternal Christ-likeness. That's illustrated in that parable in Matthew chapter 20. Now, you may be saying, but Billy, are there any individual rewards? Doesn't scripture speak of some specific rewards to individual believers for specific service uh, to Christ in, in the cause of the furtherance of the gospel, etc. Well, yes, uh, there are, and Scripture does teach about those things. That's, for example, Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or or bad. So we're going to come before uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to evaluate our works. We'll have eternal life. We'll have eternal righteousness and glory, as I was saying. But he's going to evaluate our service. And each one of us will receive, uh, will be given uh, according to the accounting of the Savior uh, for our, ser- uh, our service uh, a reward. Now, just to be clear, the judgment seat of Christ is not a place of condemnation for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that there's going to be two judgments or several judgments. You know, you get some schools, uh, prophetic schools that will teach, you know, there's the judgment seat of Christ, which is, you know, altogether different from the you know, the, the last judgment. Now, I wouldn't see that. Uh, I would say that uh, what the judgment seat of Christ is to the believer, the white throne of judgment is to the unbeliever. Uh, it's just one and the same. Uh, but for the believer, uh, that judgment seat of Christ is not a, a judgment of condemnation. 
The white throne of judgment is obviously uh, a throne of condemnation for the unbeliever. Uh, And just to to try and bring this home for you, uh, what judgment seat was the believer's sin dealt a a fatal blow? At the cross. Thank you, John. Uh, That's where our judgment uh, was meted out at the cross. Sin has been taken care of at the cross. For the believer, sin is a past issue. It's done and dusted. Uh, It's been put away in the Lord Jesus Christ. No sin is brought up. Only an evaluation of a believer's service to determine what is good and the basis of the future reward. Now, in case you're not sure about this, uh, remember last week we saw how God promised reward And it isn't wrong to long for what God has uh, promised. It's not uh, wrong to uh, long for uh, what uh, God has said he's going to give us. Uh, He also said that our eternal reward uh, takes into consideration not only uh, what we did, but also why we did it. Why we did it can either affirm the doing or cancel the doing. So we read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you still have it open in front of you, uh, verses 12 through 15. Paul says, if anyone builds on this foundation, now we know that he's talking about the foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on that endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Gold, silver, Precious stone, wood, hay, straw. Are any of those things evil? You know, is straw evil? Is hay evil? Is wood evil? No. Uh, They're just relatively valuable or infallible. Precious stones, valuable. Gold, Valuable. Silver. Valuable. Wood. Not so valuable. You know, they, they throw wood away. You never see uh, gold being thrown into the skip. You never see silver being thrown into the scrap heap. But you see lots of uh, wood in a skip. You see well, stra- uh, straw and hay. They're not particular, particularly valuable. Uh, so... It's not that they're evil. It's just that there's no value. So he's saying you are building your life. And some of the things you do, they are gold, silver, precious stones. Some are wood, hay, and straw. In the day that we come to the judgment seat of Christ, 
Our work will be made manifest or evident. The day will show it. Fire comes into the picture. Fire hits all of that. What burns? Straw burns. Wood burns. Hay burns. The rest doesn't. So that's what remains. And on the basis of what remains, verse 14 says, he will receive what? A reward. Thank you, Mike. So beyond that sort of generic eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory, whether it's 12 hours or deathbed conversion, the Lord will grant to us some reward. And whatever is burned up, verse 15 says, we will suffer the loss of the reward, but will be saved. We just won't have the reward like we might have had. Now, what are these rewards? Now, that's a series for John. Okay, or whoever comes next. All right. Uh, now, but what can we glean uh, from Scripture uh, regarding, you know, these rewards and what heaven says? Well, can I suggest that the rewards will incorporate our capacity and the nature of our eternal eternal service. We'll, we'll have, as I say, eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory, eternal Christ-likeness. But we'll do different things in eternity. You know, I don't think we'll be just sitting around on clouds for all eternity. We'll be engaged in an activity. And the things that we do... And the sphere of our service and the nature of our service and the sphere of our authority and the nature of our co-regency with Christ will be determined by the faithfulness of our service here. By faith in Christ and salvation, you receive the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory. But the rest of these rewards come as a result of your faithful service here. And what you do in service here will determine the nature and extent of your service and your authority and your co-reigning with Christ throughout eternity. Do you remember the parable in Luke chapter 12, the parable of the faithful and the unfaithful servant? It says in Luke 12 verses 42 through to 40, uh, 42 and 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. In other words, beloved, if you're faithful while the Lord's away, when he comes back, he'll give you a greater sphere of responsibility. If you're faithful with what he gives you here, if you use your gift here, if you use your ministry here, your opportunities that are given to you here, then forever and ever and ever you will have a greater sphere of service. Isn't it the similar uh, theme in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? To one guy, five was given, five talents, to another two, to another one. The guy who had five says, well, here's, I've doubled it, there's ten. The guy who had two said, well, I've doubled it, here's four. 
And it was, well, you know, you'll rule over, you know, more. And the other guy who had the one said, well, actually, I knew, to, knew, to, knew you to be a hard man, so I've just, I buried it. And now that you're back, here you are. You can, you can have it. So, so what's Paul, what, what Paul is saying is, you know, I'm looking forward to the crown, which is eternal life. I'm looking forward to the crown, which is eternal righteousness. I'm looking forward to being free from sin. I'm looking forward to eternal perfection. And how is that received? Well, look at what he says. So then you have to go to 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4. What does he say? He says, um, which he will receive when the Lord, the righteous judge. Now, God is a perfect judge. God never makes a mistake. Knows exactly what everybody's performance is and whether it's perfect or imperfect uh, to what degree. He is the judge. First Timothy 4 verse 1 says he is the judge of the living and the dead. And Paul says in that day, the judge who is perfect in his judgment will recompense me, will reward me. The judge who sees all, the judge who knows all, the judge who evaluates all in perfect righteousness will perfectly evaluate my life and he will give me that eternal righteousness, that eternal life, that eternal glory and whatever other reward he deems fit when he tries it in the fire. And so when does all of this happen? Well, Paul says it happens on that day. What day? Well, he's already mentioned that twice in this very epistle, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, he mentions that day. 2 Timothy 1 verse 18, he mentions that day. And he mentions it there in chapter 4 for the third time. You see, friends, it has to do with the day of judgment. The time when the Lord Jesus Christ brings his people to the evaluation of their service. It is at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people, the coming of the Lord for his redeemed. It's when the Lord comes again. Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus testifies to the churches, Behold, Consider this, take stock of it, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, if we have to wait until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are the saints doing who have gone before us? Well, as I said a few weeks ago, We're not given a lot of information regarding the intermediate state. We know that they are absent from the body and that they are very much present with the Lord. But absent from the body indicates, although they have eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory, they are not yet, they are not, they have not yet experienced fully what that means because they do not have 
glorified bodies to give full expression to that. You know, they're disembodied spirits at the moment. What that, what that's, what that's like, what that amounts to. We know they are already serving. They are, they are already reigning with the Lord in some way, but it's not to the, the fullest and final expression of that because as yet they are incomplete. They won't be reunited to their glorified bodies again until the Lord comes. So Paul is looking to the fullness on that day when the Lord comes for his bride, the church, and rewards his people, the church, with risen, glorified bodies. And they, we, in that final and fully redeemed, total expression of, are able to, you know, live uh, out our righteous life uh, to the glory of, of, our, of our wonderful God. You know, so it's, it's in that day, the day of judgment, the day when uh, Christ wraps all things up and he creates everything new. It's in that day that the fullness of it comes to complete fruition. When the master comes in the words of Matthew 25 verse 19, when the Lord comes and settles accounts, it's on that day. So there's a day, as we know, beloved, a crowning day that's coming. A day that the Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. When the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The trumpet we were singing about. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. On that day, beloved, we will be able to give full expression to our eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory, our eternal Christ-likeness. And render full service for all eternity. Luke 14, 14 says, For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's at the resurrection of the just that all of this will take place. As I say, that's not to say that the people who have gone on before us, they're in the presence of the Lord now, are not experiencing or expressing righteousness. This life and this glory being absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's just, it's just that they don't have the full expression of it because they're disembodied spirits. And then lastly, just to reinforce who this is for. This isn't just for the Apostle Paul. This isn't just for the Apostles. This isn't just for the ones uh, that he was writing to in the first century. Paul says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Haven't you loved the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, dear brothers and sisters? 
<laughs> we rejoice when we think about it. Coming into this world as a little babe at Bethlehem. Living that righteous life for us. Going to the cross. Being led in the tomb. Rising again. Sending into heaven. Oh boy, don't we, we love it when we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And uh, we, love his, uh, we love his appearing. That's a mark of a Christian, isn't it? It's a mark of a child of God. For all true Christians, the greatest single mark of a true believer is love for God and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the absolute bottom line. The heart of, a, um, the heart of love towards God and Christ. Christians love God. Christians love Christ. Non-Christians don't. This is one of the dominant notes that you, you find when it comes to the matter of regeneration and conversion. Those who are regenerated love Christ, love God's people, want to be with God's people. The unconverted don't. When a person becomes a Christian, they love God, they love Christ, and they ought to love him. Ought to love him with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. But we're not there yet, are we? We're looking for the fullest expression of that. You know, when a person is regenerated, and made new in Christ, given a new heart, given a new life, given a new will, given a new desire, given a new intent and a new attitude that expresses itself in love, doesn't it? That, that's the essence of salvation, our love for God. But boy, we know at times we fall flat in our face. And we lament that. And the Lord has instituted this little supper for us to remember. You know that he'll never forsake us. He'll carry on the work that he's completed in us. And we do this until he comes. It always points us forward to that day when Jesus is coming again. So, beloved, the eternal reward of eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal glory, eternal service, eternal authority. That comes along with these general things that's promised to all who love the Lord, love his presence. Uh, but that's the mark of the believer, isn't it? You know, we, we, we do love him. We, live, we love him whom we have not seen. And so um, we, our deepest desire, the deepest longing of our heart is to delight in him and to look forward to his coming again. And uh, before he comes, we want to see more souls gathered in, don't we? And that's why we want to be out evangelizing and sharing our faith. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We... We thank you that your love has been shed abroad in our hearts. And we do love the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we, we do lament it when we take our eyes off you. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to uh, remember that our citizenship is in heaven. From which we eagerly await the Savior, Jesus Christ. We eagerly await him because we love him. We long uh, for him to burst through the clouds with that trumpet and make all things new. Lord, we know until that day comes, you have commissioned us to continue to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel. 
We pray that you would grant us the grace to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.